Our speaker this morning is Reverend Dina Horn, who serves on staff with Global Partners, which is the mission arm of the Wesleyan Church. For the past six years, she and her husband Dave have lived in Vienna, Austria. They just flew in the other night, by the way, uh, for this chapel service. And they provide leadership there for a number of ministries of the Wesleyan Church in Europe, including ministry to Muslim immigrants and refugees. One of the ministries that Dina has developed recently is a summer internship program designed to provide young adults with space to explore God's calling on their life and what might be next for them after college. In fact, we've had some of our students from IWU participate in this program before. It's a very life-changing experience for them. Dina graduated with a degree in business administration from Taylor University and a master's degree in Christian education from Columbia International University. She's the mother of three children, Dylan, Kaylee, and Emma. Emma, I think, is here this morning somewhere. We want to especially welcome you, Emma, wherever you are. Dina loves to cook and to have people over to dinner for in their home, and she especially loves that Dave is there to clean up all the dishes afterwards. Living overseas has kept Dina's curiosity about all things well-fed. Some of her recent Google searches include okra recipes, hikes in the Vienna woods, and knitting German short rows, which you're going to have to explain that one to us. We're thrilled to have Dina uh, Horn with us this morning to kick off Global Awareness Week. Uh, and I hope you'll take time to get to know her, not only in this space, but off the stage as well, as she'll be here for the next couple of days. Before Dina comes to share with us, we have a few members from the IW Theatre Guild who are going to come and present a reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, the baptizer. Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria and came to the village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. He was tired. He was tired from the long walk. And sat wearily beside the well. It was about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised because Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. The woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus said to her, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Nonsense. You don't have a rope or a bucket. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you really think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than what his well gives us? Jesus said to her, Anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It, it becomes, becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never have to be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. You're right, you don't have a husband. You have five, and you're not married to the man you're living with now. You certainly must be a prophet. So, tell me, prophet, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, 
Dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or that one or even in Jerusalem. The time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In, in spirit, spirit and, and in, in truth. truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him that way. For God, God is the Spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am that Messiah. The disciples returned and were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask him, what does he want with her? The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone to come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah we've heard was coming? So the people came streaming from the village to see Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples urged Jesus. Rabbi, eat something. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Did you? No. Did you? Mm -hmm. Jesus said to his disciples, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me down to finish his work. You all know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I'm telling you, wake up and look around you. The fields are ripe for harvest now. The harvesters are paid well, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the other saying, one plants and another harvests. It's true, you know. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others already did the work, and now you get to gather their harvest. So many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of the woman. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. Long enough for many others to hear his message. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe. Not just because of what you told us. But because we too have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. At the end of his two days, Jesus went to Galilee. He, he himself said, said a, prophet a prophet is not honored in his, in his hometown. Wow, thank you for that scripture presentation. A great way to begin. Well, welcome to Global Awareness Week. It's such a pleasure to be with you. And uh, hi to my people that I know. We've had a few people come to Vienna from Indiana Wesleyan, and uh, we're just thrilled to have them share our experience of living in such an amazing city. Well, I have a question for us to begin. How do you read this in your mind? The meaning depends on the context and the emphasis. So you could read it like, well, look at that. What do you know? Or, you are totally wrong. What do you know? Or, that's dumb. What do you know? Well, there's a lot of knowing in this passage that we're looking at today that was so beautifully read for us this morning. Let's look at all the knowing in John 4. Well, Jesus knew. If you only knew, you know a little, very little. We know all about him. I know the Messiah is coming. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Well, you know the saying. Well, you know the saying. 
Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus challenges religiosity in what is apparently known in this passage. Well, what are the stories we tell about ourselves, our identity, our history? We are meaning-making people, and when something happens to us, we like to ask the first question, why? We want to make sense of of ourselves in relation to others. Well, what was this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, believing about herself and about Jesus? She was trying to make sense of what she thought she knew and the totally different story that Jesus was telling her. She was intrigued and yet sufficiently confused. I feel her leaning in and then leaning out with a lot of questions. There's kind of a dance of engagement that she has with Jesus. And surely Jesus' conversation with this woman at the well would have been viewed as shocking. I mean, the disciples are shocked when they return and see him there. And he wasn't bucking the system just to make waves. No, he wanted the gospel, the good news, the I am for everyone message to be spread far and wide. Jesus didn't approach women with fear or the other with fear. He was not focused on appearance keeping and he wasn't particularly concerned with playing by the rules. Religious leaders would have advised him to not only not not talk to this woman, but certainly to not even look at her. Instead, he sits on the well The wells had this capstone on them for safety and for security to to protect the water source. And he puts himself directly in the path of the woman by sitting right there in her way. Not only that, he was willing to share water vessels with her, an act that would have been labeled unclean. Well, some people assume that this woman was bad. You know, we have the parable of the good Samaritan. Some people look at this maybe as the bad Samaritan. She certainly had a troubled life. But in that time, men could divorce women, not the other way around. Scholars look at this woman as someone who wrong had been done to. This woman was coping with a pattern of abandonment. Her five husbands had died or divorced her over and over and over and over again. What a story of grief and loss. And we don't know that she was choosing to live with the current man. She was trying to survive. Women didn't have choices back then. I mean, who ever heard of a man caught in adultery? She had been used and was not a perfect and shining member of the community. Some speculate that she came to the well at that time of day to avoid being with other women. She was thirsty for far more than well water. She was longing for belonging, security, and love. Well, Jesus offered hospitality to the woman at the well. Now, that might sound a little funny. What do I mean by hospitality? Hospitality is a practical, personal meeting of a need kind of love. Hospitality is velocenia in Greek, which means an experience-based love, a practical love, philo, of a stranger or foreigner 
xeno. You've probably heard of its opposite, xenophobia. Jesus crossed barriers of geography, religion, and gender in love. And yet Jesus also put himself as the one in need. Jesus' thirst emphasizes his humanity. He didn't enter this, this relationship from a position of power. How often do we place ourselves in that position of power toward others? God can use our times of being needy or even like not having it all together. He delights in using our weaknesses to show his strength. When we are out of our comfort zones, our thirst for connection, security, and love are intensified. And the go-to thirst quenchers don't satisfy. One of the things I love about serving with global partners as a missionary is that we're not positioning ourselves as the ones who are so together and perfect. Thank the Lord. We are not the ones to put ourselves in position over other people. Jesus empowers us to offer something to the world. Certainly, yes, that's true. But there's still a lot for us to learn. Our new internship program, Next, contains that same DNA. Next prepares interns for lifelong global engagement through mentored cross-cultural immersion. Summer of 2019, we launch in four sites. In subsequent years, we'll be offering an expanding selection of sites and, and dates. So come talk with me and the Global Partners mobilization team this week to find out more. We look forward to getting to know you. But back to our passage, John 4 reveals the woman's two main questions. Jesus, who do you think you are? And what are you offering me? When Jesus offers his living water, the woman launches a rebuttal of three consecutive questions. Well, where would you get the water? And how do you think you're better than Jacob? And how can you offer better, than, better water than him? In essence, she's asking, Jesus, who do you think you are? She progresses in calling him sir, then prophet, then the man who told me everything I'd ever done. But as the woman begins to grow in her understanding of who Jesus is, her defenses go up. This is just too good to be true. I can't believe what you're offering. Could forgiveness be real to me? The story I know of the conquering Messiah wouldn't come and talk to someone like me. My community has rejected me. This can't be true. She had written a story of herself that couldn't believe in a God of spirit and truth full of grace and love. Well, believe me, I can relate. I also have a story of great grief and loss. I recently shared some of my life story at a women's retreat in Russia. My story includes much trauma, chaos, and abuse. My parents died in a plane crash when I was four years old. I had 10 different sets of caregivers through my childhood. Two of the men sexually abused me and two of my sisters. As I grew into adulthood, I had to grapple with the person I was trying to show on the outside and the hurting person on the inside. 
What happens when we begin to look inside and we don't like what we see? It's a challenging and maybe even scary thing to allow ourselves this space to look inside. Well, one woman, as I was sharing, began to cry. And I assumed she shared a hashtag me too story like mine, but hers was actually a different story and yet also one of great loss and abandonment. She was trying to live without addressing her longing and thirst for pure love. Her tears were a recognition that her thirst for belonging, security, and love wasn't satisfied. She was tender to the idea that Jesus could satisfy her thirst, but like that Samaritan woman, she wondered who he thought he was. Could she trust Jesus with her true self? Shame is an internal response that says something is wrong with me. It's all about self. Shame says, what will people think of me if they really know who I am? I cannot reveal my true self. More work or achievement, however, will not cover that shame. Getting great grades, having a perfect family, becoming famous maybe, that's not going to cover that thirst and that longing in our hearts. Lately, I've recognized the temptation to believe two competing messages from my childhood. You're too much and you're not enough. Deanie, you're too much. You're too strong, you bulldoze people, you're too loud. Women need to submit. Women are not fit for leadership. But also, you're not enough, Dina. You're not smart enough, you're not thin enough, you're not nice enough, you're not cultured enough, you don't speak German good enough, you're not loving enough. The gospel in me requires a level of honesty about my thirst and my weakness to quench that thirst with only well water. When I recognize that Jesus offers himself in spirit and truth, I can live in freedom. Jesus' mercy conquers my shame. I am not too much for Jesus. He has made me to be who I am. I don't have to push down my strengths of leadership or scholarship or whatever traits I may have believed were too much. I surrender myself to his shaping and his leading. I follow in obedience with gladness. And I don't have to live in condemnation. Jesus accepts me as I am because he loves me. I am enough because his spirit is guiding me to become who he longs for me to be. I don't have to strive to be something I'm not. I don't have to give into jealousy because of someone else's gain. I can celebrate others and love well because I am secure in Christ. In September, I had the great pleasure of viewing one of the most beautiful pieces of art. Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son hangs in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia. You'll see on the left-hand side, I brought my copy of the book with the same name by Henry Nouwen just to keep my Instagram followers happy. 
Here we see the father welcoming home the son who had broken his heart, abandoned him, and heaped shame on the entire family. The son is in tatters. His shoes are falling apart. He's made the long journey to the father, rehearsing his apology along the way, hoping to receive a measure of forgiveness, but still not fully believing in the capability of the father to fully forgive and welcome him and love him. Oh, but those hands, that moment of welcome, the father tells the son that he belongs home. He belongs there. He was away, but now he's home. That place of belonging, security, and love. John 4.26 has the ultimate mic drop. When Jesus calls himself, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am divine. I am the one who knows you the best and loves you the most. I am the one who welcomes you home. I offer love, belonging, and security. The gift of water that Jesus offers is in its ability to forever quench the thirst, not to take away the thirst in itself. Do you hear the difference? Jesus offers a perpetual flow of thirst-quenching resource. Jesus later uses the illustration of the vine and our need to abide and remain connected to him. The point is the source of our identity, fulfillment, and strength. The Samaritan woman's only hope for the living water at the beginning was on a practical level. Oh, great, my life will be easier. I won't have to keep coming out to this well. But then a beautiful transformation takes place. You see, the woman comes seeking well water, and she carries back divine living water. The disciples bring human food, but Jesus has divine food and is renewed by it. The source of our nourishment and refreshment is the Messiah, Jesus. He offers spirit and truth. Our culture tries to reduce the feeling of thirst. And I believe that Jesus isn't saying thirst is bad. No. Thirst more. Feel your need more. Jesus says, let me continually fill you, keep you strong, empower you, be your identity and rest. The problem to solve isn't our need, our thirstiness. The problem is the way we quench it. So Jesus is saying, thirst more. Lean into your need. Stop distracting yourself from your thirst or covering it up. Slow down and take a look at the story you are believing about yourself. What made the prodigal son return? He leaned into his thirst and felt that need. 
Why did the woman go tell everyone to come meet Jesus? She saw Jesus as the one who offered perpetual thirst-quenching resource. A week ago, I joined a group of 150 European women for a Wesleyan leadership conference. I was on the steering committee with a bunch of Nazarenes with this idea of a conference that would build up women clergy and ministry leaders from about 30 countries. I invited my friend from Vienna, Jamila, to join us. Jamila is a Syrian Christian who has an incredible heart for seeing Muslims come to Christ. She was granted asylum status in Austria three years ago. She connected with three other Syrian Christian women at, our, at the conference who are also now living in Europe. On our road trip back to Vienna, Jamila thanked me for inviting her to the conference. Oh, my new friends needed me, and I needed them. I haven't laughed like that for a year and a half. One of her new friends also shared that she felt safe with fellow believers who understood her, that she didn't feel like she was being watched, observed, or controlled. I think it's hard for us to imagine the loneliness and lack of connection to safe, re safe relationships that refugees face. Simple fellowship and laughter become so sweet. Their thirst for being known was quenched by the body of Christ. Jesus crosses barriers to share his spirit and truth. He offers living water. And the Samaritan woman responds with a burning desire to share that truth with others. Why would she be compelled to go and tell everybody, hey, come meet this guy who knows everything about me? She grew in her understanding of who Jesus was and the gift that he offered. So what are the stories we tell about ourselves, our history, our identity? Don't be afraid of those questions. Get honest with yourself about your thirsts. Pay attention to the way you are quenching those thirsts. Jesus offers himself as I am and as the one who satisfies our deepest longings for belonging, security, and love. That is a good hard word from Dina. Um, I've really been challenged today to lean into the thirst is hard. It's stark. Um, and one church leader from history who knew that feeling was Augustine. So I'm going to share his word with you. God, you called, you shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance. I gasped, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, God, and I hunger, and I thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. Father, I just pray over the student body um, and our community today. Um, help us to name our thirst, to see it, to acknowledge it, and to follow it to you, the only true quencher. Be with us this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>